This is the Making Books podcast. I'm author Polly Ho Yen, and this is a podcast documenting the often slow, sometimes agonising, but also, let's face it, ridiculously exciting art of creating books. Each week, I'll be talking to a writer, illustrator, or industry expert about what their life is really like when they've dedicated it to making books. Hello, welcome to episode 14, the final episode of this season. And it's a big one. I'm interviewing Waterstones Children's Laureate Joseph Corlo. Woo, it's exciting because I've known Joe for a while um, and seen his brilliant rise to our Children's Laureate and then seeing all the fantastic work he's been doing as our Children's Laureate. So um, I get into with him about how he really balances that because I find it really difficult balancing writing with just life stuff. So imagining balancing writing with life stuff and all the responsibilities of being Waterstones Children Laureate and all of those different pulls on you. I was really interesting to see how he managed that. Um, And Joe gets into great detail also about his writing process. He's such a just he's just such a love. So, um, yeah, I really enjoyed talking to him. And it's felt quite special to end this season um, talking to um, talking to Joe and to wrap up for now um, the end of this podcast season. I am going to swiftly have a baby and then I shall be back interviewing more writers, illustrators and industry professionals as soon as I possibly can. But for now, here he is, Waterstones Children's Laureate, Joseph Quallo. I've seen that jumper on YouTube and I like it. Oh yeah? I and I want to I want to know where you get it from. <laughs> where did I get it from? I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, mysterious Joe. I I really <laughs> it's beautiful. It's just you. I love it. It's your sunny yellow flower jumper. But thanks <laughs> so much for doing this. How are you? I'm good. I'm all right. Yeah. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> Surviving. Yeah, holding it together by a yeah. thread. I'm actually heavily pregnant right now. Um, thank you. I don't know if I told you on email. I'm not sure if I did anyway. So I'm sort of, I'm feeling twinges. I'm like, is it coming now? That kind of vibe. You're quite due. Like you due. I'm, I'm not due for a month, but I just feel so hugely uncomfortable I can't imagine waiting for another month (laughs) (laughs) that would be so much fun trapped audience well (laughs) yes true (laughs) um but yeah so man like I mean how do you I would love to try and crack how you do it all because it feels to me like um you're everywhere you're (laughs) writing beautifully you're giving so much to so many people um and thank you first of all from all of the children's <laughs> authors and illustrators who we're we're in, yeah we're right behind you but and um cheering you on um but yeah I'd love to know yeah I'd love to know like how you fit in writing around so many responsibilities could we start there because that's where you're at right now isn't it yeah I mean I'm behind I, I'm beh- you know I I was very behind last year and I've you know, had to delay things, which I've never had to do before. Um, so it, it certainly had an impact, but I've managed, I'm, I'm managing to catch up. Um, I, I've always been very good at writing on 
trains and planes and in hotel rooms and cafes and sort of carving out space whilst I'm out on the road. Um, I also don't let it scare me too much because I know most of the work is thinking. Um, and so when a, a deadline is approaching and, I'm, you know, and I'm out on the road doing lots of things, um, I think before I, I used to get quite stressed out about that. It's like, I'm not going to have time to do this. Um, but when I first started writing, I would strap myself to the desk, you know, for eight, 10, 12 hours and get very little done. And it, I, yeah. And, it, you know, I would just literally be you know, sitting here all day trying to get words out. And I realized actually when I'm off and I'm busy, but I'm thinking and it's bubbling away, mm-hmm. uh, when I then do have space to to sit down and write, it just comes because I've been thinking about it and pondering it. And so I have a lot of faith in that in that process. Um, yeah, and I just I know, I always know it will come um, r- rather than beating myself up for not, you know, carving out weeks at a time to just sit and write. Although that said, last year was last year. Yeah, last year I did carve out a week and I took myself away on a retreat in Ireland um, for uh, a, a week just in a little cottage. And I got a lot of work done that week but that's the first time I've well first time in quite a few years where I've done that wow yeah yeah <laughs> and and do you and what about rest how do you rest mm. he takes that's a sip the... a tiny sip of tea that's the only time he's able to have a drink and it's quite <laughs> to dance to answer the question <laughs> it's that's something I'm better at I I was shattered uh December just gone and I, I basically stopped and was just ill for the month um um and so I realised that I have to take more active rest, you know, like really set time aside to rest. So I've learned that lesson. And this year, I'm, you know, I have booked out holidays. I didn't book out any holidays. Everyone was telling me book holidays. And I, I get intend... Them in the, yeah, I just, get them in the diary. It's sacred. Yeah. yeah, it's so hard to do that. Yeah. I, and, I, and I've never been very good at, at that. Um, but this year, I've really kind of prioritised the things I want to do mm-hmm. and, putting holidays in and working work around all of that. And that's been a, a game changer. Um, I, you know, I made a whole annual calendar so I can see everything on a big board. And I plugged in all the things that I need to do, um, plugged in you know, the holidays I have to have if I'm going to have a, a, a clear head so that I can get work, more work yeah. done, be more productive. Um, and that's already, you know, we're only a month in and I've, I've already done the exercise that I've want to do I, yeah I wanted to get back into running I've been doing that I've I had a little trip you know um, and that's yeah. purely because I've planned it out right at the start of the year um, and it means this year I'm really excited about this year because there's I, I it it's all manageable and there's yes. lots of things that I I'm looking forward to as well as you know working on and you know yeah. Oh, that's so good to hear. That's so good to hear that you've got your running space and your trips and just those little sacred times and spaces for you just to stop. Um, and oh, and yeah, and it's lovely to hear also just how you kind of yeah manage that writing on the road and how actually sometimes that can be preferable to like chaining yourself to the desk. Okay, so that's where you are now. Yeah. Lovely. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> can we go back right to your beginning? Can you we go back to when you um you first had the thought that you wanted to make a book or write a book? Um, um, well, I started out in performance poetry in my early 20s. And so I was doing the poetry scene and sort of gigging in 
pubs and cafes and theatres. What's that like? What's the poetry scene like? It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Um, I think it's it's one of those things that sort of, if you haven't seen it before, when you first see it, it takes your breath away. And I remember, whilst I was at university, I started, I would go to the Poetry Society, put my name down, put your name down, and then you, you know, they call your name out at the end of a set and you get to go up and perform a poem. And I remember doing that in the Poetry Society in this ill-fitting suit because I had run from work. I was doing my degree, but I was also working part-time. Um, and I remember my knees shaking and getting up and performing this poem. Um, and people clapped. And I, and I sort of got the bug from there. And I, I, I felt great. And then I just kept finding out about more and more gigs. Um, and you meet lots of fantastic poets. And, um, yeah, I started to invite friends down to see the gigs and... Because they'd be like, oh, my God, there's this whole hidden poetry scene. It's amazing. And it is amazing. And then you get to see more and more poets. And then you start to, you know, see the highlights and see how um, versatile um, a medium is. Um, and I was doing that for a lot, many, many years, um, meeting lots of amazing poets, uh, learned that they were going into schools for the, kind of the, their bread and butter. Yeah, so a lot of poets were going to schools, do educational work. Um, and that would, you know, help fund the career. Um, and so I, I started doing lots of schools, creating lots of work suitable for children, um, and then getting on to uh, creative, creative partnership projects. So these were, it was a government initiative to put artists in schools alongside teachers um, to work together to find new ways of engaging young people. And so there was a beautiful period of about seven years when there was budgets and you know time and funding for projects that lasted 30 weeks at a time. Wow. Going to the same school every week with the same class of kids, working with the teachers, finding new ways of using creativity to access literature and literacy. Um, um, and I learned so much and I came up with so many ideas because you kind of have to, because you're always, you know, it was a very um, artistic process. Um, uh, but I found I was getting frustrated both with the performance poetry where I felt like I had kind of plateaued. There was not many other spaces to go into. You sort of do, you do the gigs, you do the circuits and you just keep going around, basically. <laughs> yeah. So I sort of plateaued there. I felt like I wanted my writing to have more of an audience. Um, I was starting to feel embarrassed that I was going in to all these schools with all these poems for children. And of course they would ask, oh, are you published? And I wasn't published. And I knew nothing about the publishing world. Um, and so I was doing that for 12 years I'm getting increasingly frustrated um, and it's like Googling publishing and how you get into it. Um, discovered the London Book Fair. Um, and for a three year period, I went every year, sort of saved up the pennies to get a ticket. And I would go as soon as it opened on the first day and leave right when anyone, everyone had left on the last day. I was doing that for three years um, with manuscripts. What were, you, what were you doing at the London Book Fair? Were you, yeah, so you, you got your okay. manuscripts... Yeah, <laughs> I would basically go up because it's it's quite intimidating. You know, they've got all their big stands there. Oh my god, that's so intimidating. I mean, that's probably the hardest way of doing it. But I mean, good on you. <laughs> yeah, it was, I mean, but you know, people are lovely. You know, as the industry is, and um, some editors would say, "Oh, let's go get a coffee," or they'd give me five minutes. Amazing. Yeah, and they, and they haven't got time for that. You know, yeah. and I really appreciated that. And so I was doing that for three years, and. People look through my manuscripts. Yeah, I had a lot of picture book manuscripts and they give me some mm -hmm. feedback. Now, in the last year, I walked past um, a panel about children's poetry just by chance because I wasn't actually going to events there. I was literally just 
circulating around the halls, trying to hit stands when editors might be there to see if I could you know, spend five minutes with them. Um, so I was unaware that this poet, children's poetry event was happening. I just caught the end of it. And um, Janetta Otterbury was talking about the need for more children's poetry. Um, and I had a stack with me. And so I went up there afterwards. <laughs> Your hand went up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then we had a meeting. And then two years later, my first book came out. Ah, uh, great. And then that was Werewolf Club Rules. And that won the Clipper in 2015. And then that opened the door for publishers wanting to speak to me and then asking tentatively, can you write other things? Um, and it, that was really interesting because during that those sort of 12 years in the wilderness, I was heavily involved in theatre and I was writing uh, theatre pieces and doing everything in theatre, like on stage, off stage, light, sound. I did lights and sound at the Lyric Theatre in Hammersmith, was, was stage manager, was a, a an acting, acting stage manager at the Unicorn Theatre at one point. So I was also writing plays um, for uh, like Polka and the Unicorn in their sort of education departments um, and sort of slowly building a, a bit of a, a name for myself. And I had a, I had a theatre agent at that time, um, but it just wasn't really going anywhere. Again, it was mm -hmm. just plateauing. And ironically, you know, it was after finding a publisher in, in, you know, for my poetry collection and then afterwards finding an agent and then growing my books that now theatre has come back and now I'm, I'm doing a lot more plays for young people now um, than I was when I was really focused on on theatre. God, funny, yeah. Oh, amazing. Um, so so had you, did you ever like do the kind of typical submission of like emailing off or sending off post or or were you just London Book Fair focused? Uh, no, I did also send stuff off to agents. I had, you know, I had the Writers and Artists Yearbook I mean, that's actually how I got my first uh, like playwright agent. Um, I you know, went through the Artists and Writers Yearbook. I found uh, all the agents that were representing playwrights that I felt were doing work that was kind of close to the sort of thing I wanted to do. And then and I always tell, you know, writers looking for agents to do this because I got my my first agent because they were very impressed that I'd done my homework. I found out who they represented. I said, look, this is the kind of writing I do. This is who you represent. This is the space I want to be in. And that led, led to agent. Mm -hmm. um, but as I say, I didn't really lead to anything. And I was, you know, you know, there for quite a while. Um, and then the books started happening and the, the kids stuff sort of really took off. And then I found uh, an agent there. But I, um, I'd also joined Scooby. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. children's book writers and illustrators and I went to their um they have an agent party every year um where they get have about four four to six agents who who kind of tell writers and illustrators what they're looking for and then you um then it's really weird then it becomes all kind of informal and what ends up happening there's like drinks and nibbles and people end up queuing <laughs> in front of these these lovely agents bless them um yeah and they just have a queue of people like <laughs> it's so chill have a canopy i'm here in the line <laughs> yeah it's so brilliant it's just all these queues in this you know circulating space but um i always tell people to join scooby and to go to the agent parties, go to the conferences, because you meet other writers and illustrators and agents and editors. Um, and I, I actually ended up getting my uh, my agent, my uh, literature agent, Felicity True with Caroline Sheldon Agency, um, by going to a book launch. Yeah. I went to 
Holly Sterling's book launch up in Newcastle um, to do a reading of a book she had coming out. Um, and I, I met I met Felicity there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, because actually, similarly, I went to just a book event. It was it was John Boyne, who oh, obviously yeah. was a big name then and is still now. And Phil Earl was interviewing him. But Phil Earl had only had like a maybe one or two books out at that point, And I had never heard of him. But he was really brilliant. And um, and I bought his book off the back of that and John Boyne's book. Um, and that was on Tales of Moon Lane, you know, in Hearn Hill. So just a tiny little book event. And then reading in, in his acknowledgements, thanking his agent and his agency, and then hadn't heard of them. And then from Googling that, from thinking, oh, well, I really love what Phil's doing. I'd love to, you know, like she's something like that for younger children. And then that's how that connection was made. So, so yeah, I think putting all those, yeah, putting all those feelers out there and kind of, I mean, it sounds like you you had every feeler out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I do get surprised sometimes when people come up to me, you know, and they're interested in writing, but they haven't done any of that initial work, you know, of finding out who's out there, who's writing stuff in the sort of vein that you want to write in, who who are the publishers. I think you need to do those basics. You know, you should be going to events like you did at, at Moon Lane. I remember going into a Waterstones, actually, um, and seeing The Boy in the Tower. Oh, <laughs> oh my God, there's a tower. Like, because uh, I was writing at that point the... Um, overheard a tower block yes yes really to have more things that represented you know urban environments and council estates I felt like I never saw that growing up and then seeing your book and seeing that it had a tower block on, I was like oh my god yes that's the kind of thing I'm being so inspired by the the work you were creating and continue to create you know because I love sci-fi as well and the way you sort of blend the kind oh of, no yeah. well it's been lovely to be paired with you a little bit when Overheard and Tablet came out and then it was yeah that's when we that's when we first met wasn't we, we were teaching at Arvon together that um <laughs> that lovely <laughs> the lovely week where we were teaching in um yeah um in rural Devon and um yeah we had just only each other for company and you didn't have enough snacks that's what my my overriding memory of that was probably <laughs> <laughs> always need the snacks <laughs> very important very very important so joe can you tell me kind of a little bit about kind of your process so when you're how you go from naught to 60 like what do you what do you do are you a free writer are you a planner are you kind of using i mean i mean imagine coming from you know your poetry background um that there that you have a very particular way of working yeah I I've kind of tried everything I used to like really plan I remember when I was writing my first kind of middle grade novel that never saw light of day <laughs> um uh, I remember getting a big board from Ryman's uh pin board and then using all the cards I've still got a lot of index cards actually which I never use because I'd seen things on YouTube, I think it was like script writers for film, kind of layering up all these cards. Well, yes, that's what I'm, I'm going to do. And it just didn't really work. I found I, I just got myself really muddled. Um, but I think it was an, an essay process to go through, because also at that time I was, you know, 
continuing to read and absorb. And I think through that process, you just get really familiar with what works. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now I, I am just by the seat of my pants. Um, I, I do keep a notebook. I keep several notebooks. I've got little notebooks like this. These um, Midori Traveller's notebooks, which you can get from various online stores. <laughs> the journal, like stationery. Um, but they, they, yeah, you've got a leather surround and you have all these little notebooks in, inserts because I've, I've got a cupboard full of notebooks. I don't know what's in them. But then when I started using these, um, I started to put page numbers in. Um, and then when I've completed a little notebook, I write a contents page and then I file it away. I've got loads of folders with my notebooks in and then I have the years that those notebooks are from. And so I, I often have like, poems or the or chapters or beginnings of things in those notebooks and I know where they are because I've got a contents page so I can go oh I'm sure I worked on a a YA idea for this that or the other and I can check and then I will bring the notebooks you know to my desk and I will write away um but yeah I, I tend to just go straight in and I tend to work on several things at the same time mm-hmm. um I guess it's yeah, from having a bit of a, a hyperactive um Sort of way of working uh, <laughs> yeah need lots of things to keep me occupied and so in your notebooks where they might be like will there be actually little like pl- plans or thoughts or questions or is it actually writing kind of straight in all of the above ah, so everything yeah I'm like oh way idea and then I will I might put some bullet points or I will just start writing a chapter or, or a poem or um yeah just planning out an idea um but i i use the notebooks as well in combination um with a, a kanban board oh what's that so i've got it here but it's to the size you can't see it got all my projects on so you can't see it but basically the board where you have to do so say if you get a a, a whiteboard do a little square little rectangle you've got your to do column uh, an in progress column and a complete column and then you move things along so you've got your to-dos. Once you've started to do, you put it into in progress. Once you've finished, it goes to complete. Um, and I find that really useful in conjunction with the notebook because then when I've got something I really want to work on, it goes on my to-do. Any deadlines, it's on my to-do. As soon as I start, even if I, I've just written a few lines, it's in progress. And it just really helps me keep See, track. That's such a good idea, for, especially when you're juggling multiple projects as you are. I'm going to do that this afternoon. It's it's a really great system. Like I really depend on it now because before I try to keep to do lists and stuff, and I actually use little like post its and and little pins, little pins like this, um, and yeah, I just move them along my various columns. So and when you you get something to is in the complete column, do you do any celebration? Do you do a uh, dance? Um, no, I do enjoy taking them all off the complete column and then clearing it. I did think maybe I should put because I use little my the post-it notes I use they're actually little stickers, um, so maybe I should stop putting them in a, a book of stickers. But I think <laughs> really good point. I think we so often don't celebrate like all all the little things, all the little wins. You know, getting something in on time, um, having an agent get back to us, having a publisher show interest. I think it's really important that yeah. we celebrate. Um, and just because especially with social media it's so easy to be constantly comparing and i you know i still do that do that to this day that's why i I tend to or try to stay off social media 
because I find it can be a really can be a wonderful space, but a really negative space and can really interfere with the artistic process where you're always looking at yeah we're all pulling on our best our best side mm-hmm. and, oh they've done that I didn't get asked to do that oh they've done this I didn't get yeah and it's it's ridiculous it's it's a zero-sum game and it doesn't it doesn't serve us um so yeah I think it's important to yeah keep, you know in check yeah, absolutely. It's such a, it's such a waste of energy. I think that's the thing. And we've got such, such you know, precious little energy. <laughs> well, I do anyway. I've got to direct it in the right place, otherwise nothing will happen. <laughs> um, so that's so lovely. I love I love hearing the detail of your notebooks and your contents and and your board as well. And yeah, maybe I'll encourage you to reward yourself with stickers or chocolate or wild swims or whatever yeah <laughs> i need to do some wild swims I haven't done yeah any. i know get in the water joe well is it clean enough at the moment well no there's there's constant you know i get little updates sewage alert so yeah i know it's been a bit grim yeah we had a really that wild swim that we did in apple door was such a highlight for me it was yeah. so wonderful <laughs> that's good fun um, and yeah, you, I, I'm so glad you're there because you got me out. I think I, I would have wussed out. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like everyone else thought I was bullying you into doing it. <laughs> you will have a swim. <laughs> it's good for him. He needs to get in the water. <laughs> yeah. Um. So that's so. I'm just. I'm. I'm trying to think of what would be so useful for all of the listeners to hear about. And then I'm sort of marrying that with like my own morbid curiosity. Um, so I'd love to ask you next, like how you approach editing. Because obviously I was in a school this week and it's such a tricky, I mean, it's such a, it's such a big ask, I think, of young students and writers today to look at editing in such a kind of advanced way in schools, which I think they didn't do when I was growing up. And I try and talk as much about that, you know, within reason in school visits, just to show that it really is part of the process. Like it really isn't that you you write something and then it's finished and then it's done and then you can move on. That there is that in progress column that, you know, like you have on, on your board and how essential editing is to that. How do you feel when you get your editorial notes back? Can you talk us through your reactions? After the anger has passed, <laughs> no, it it, um, it really does vary. Um, it, you are sort of giving over this precious thing that you've worked on, you know, by yourself, and it's a it's a hugely vulnerable time. And I think, um, you know, like I'm I'm editing a, a series at the moment, and so when you have an eye on the larger story that maybe not everyone is aware of, that can get difficult. Um, I cert- when I get my, those notes through, I certainly don't respond straight away <laughs> because I will. I would probably have an initial reaction. Of, what? Um, it depends. It depends on. It depends on the book. It, it depends on the process that we've gone through. Um, but what I find is there's that initial like, huh? Oh, I want to get rid of that and stuff. And then you you take time, and then you come back to it. And you're like, huh? Oh yeah, that makes sense. That's actually better. Um, and so I think that's a really necessary part of the process. And I'm always really grateful um, for when editors have like highlighted some, you know, something that needs to be changed because it, it does lead to it being stronger. And it's interesting to hear what other people think and whether what you, 
what is clear in your head is clear to others. That said, I think it's really important, you know, when a writer is passionate about something and feels strongly about something that you you fight for your work, you know, and if there's something you strongly disagree with, then you disagree and that's fine as well because ultimately it's your name on the book, it's your book, it's your style of writing. Um, and if someone else wrote it, they would write it in a completely different way. Um, and I, I sometimes see writers get quite sort of nervous about that, kind of sticking up for their characters, their plot, you know, the, the things they feel passionate about. Um, and I think a, a, a really good editor will always have that sensitivity. Yeah. And I've got some good editors who really, you know, really respect that, but also have, they also get it and they have a great, have great ideas and aren't afraid to, you know, really say, oh, actually this doesn't work, that's not clear. Have you thought about, you know, doing this in that way? Um, and I, I find that really helpful. What I find less helpful is if, a manuscript is dived into and you know written in I, I've, I've had that once or twice and suddenly I don't recognize the script I don't recognize the manuscript because someone else's words are in so there. they've they've typed in oh gosh yeah not a lot is you know once or twice that's happened and it it yeah what I much prefer is when and what the vast majority do you know you get your edits down the sides, you get your notes down the sides of the page. And then, because often those notes, they might suggest something or they might highlight a problem. And the the suggestion for dealing with the problem, uh, you'll come at from a totally different direction, you know, and you go, oh, yes, I can, now that you've highlighted that, I can see what the issue is. But the way you've suggested to solve that issue actually doesn't work for me because what I'm going to do is move this chapter, delete this bit, and, and I yeah. do love that editing i love the the building aspect of it um I, I i love lego i've got loads of lego in here which you can't see it's all over there but um i feel like it's that bit you know where you're you've got the chapters and you're moving stuff around and you're trying different things and you're getting rid of your darlings you know that i i, I really appreciate that bit and quite enjoy it that's my yeah. favorite yeah yeah absolutely i th- i yeah i love it when i do love it when an editor says oh and here are some suggestions and then you can be like oh no or, or yes that bit looks good or like yeah i appreciate that kind of work that's been put in i guess it's like it feels better when it's like opening a dialogue yeah. rather than saying this is how it should be i suppose because yeah. i think that's another thing that that writers can be guilty of, of like, it's my vision and no you know and the, the not listening and it's like, well, if, if something might be really clear to you, but if it's not clear to your reader, you have to have that reader, that young reader in mind. And that's where children's literature particularly is, is very different because it's always a bunch of adults working on it with yes. the child as opposed to you editing with a child, you know, having that child feedback. Um, so I always find that a really interesting consideration. Um, but yeah, I, I do that. Or, you know, and you know, often I'm putting into that like, oh, brilliant, love that, great, yeah, yeah, yeah. I will get on that. Ah, oh, you know, and it and it, you no longer feel so alone in that process, or especially if you have a sticking point. Um, yeah, but it's getting that balance right, I think, of of honouring the artist, but also listening and and honouring the reader. Yeah, absolutely. And so do you, do you feel that you send off things that are quite finished or do you how do you self edit before you share with anyone? Um it depends. So with picture books I tend to send things that are like quite finished. Um and I find they take the longest in terms of, of getting right. 
uh, with middle grade, I, I, I tend to start with an idea actually, um, and to have an idea or a couple of chapters, um, and then, you know, if it's a, a yay, I'll go off and, and write it and get the whole first uh, draft done and then get, get notes back on that. Um, and it's often the, the bits that I've been worried about where I think, oh, they're not going to like that or they're going to, that's often the bits that they like. And then there'll be something I, did, I just thought was fine and I'll be like, oh, this is, this is a bit muddy. And, and that's really interesting. Like, oh, I thought that was obvious. But then you, you realise that it's, you know, we're all different and we all think in different ways. We certainly do. <laughs> um, and could you tell me a little bit about what it's been like to work with illustrators? Because I know a lot of your your work, especially picture books and, and your middle grade, have been highly, you know, obviously your picture books have been highly illustrated. They're illustrated, not highly illustrated. They're illustrated. Um, yeah. But what's, what's that been like? Can you remember your, can you tell us about your, your first one and what it was like to see those images come through? My first picture book was with Fiona Lumbers. We didn't actually meet until the book was out. We sort of met by accident socially. Um, so we had no contact, which I think is quite common. Um, yeah. I like to keep us apart, which I understand. I do get why. I think especially with debuts, writers can be quite precious about their vision and they might not understand that it's a collaboration as opposed to the illustrator honours my vision. Um, and, and that can work both ways with illustrators feeling they, uh, you know, um, might want to tell the writer what <laughs> what to write. I think it, it has to be a very sensitive collaboration. There needs to be space on both sides. Um, so I I worked on a manuscript, but Luna Loves Library Day. I think I had lots of illustration notes. And then Libby, uh, Libby Hamilton, who was my editor um, at Anderson at the time, it was like, oh, don't don't do illustration notes. Yeah, which was a really important lesson and actually really freed me up because I found before I was worrying about the text and the story and then what the illustrations were going to be. And when I could put all that down and just worry about the story working on the page, do the words work, it totally freed me up. And then I could just hand it over, you know, have that editing time with Libby and then Libby would go off to with Fiona and have illustration time. And together they came up with ideas for illustrations that I never would have dreamt of. We've got the whole kind of things coming out of the books in Luna Loves Library Day. And we've got a book within the book. And that's because of the the freedom that was in that part of the, of the process where Libby and Fiona could discuss things. And it wasn't me coming in as writer. But, well, this is what I imagine happens on this page. Um, so that that was a really lovely process. And I was just delighted, as I always am. Yeah, I've been very lucky to work with a range of brilliant illustrators and I'm always just, yeah, completely delighted. You know, I very rarely have to go back and, you know, unless it, it's something which is wrong relating to the story, you know, then I might say, oh, actually, you know, it says they've got a red hat, but in the text it says a green hat and it's green because of X, Y, and Z. Um, that's why like, I, um, you know, last year had uh, 10 Word Tiny Tales come out which features 20 illustrators. Um, yes. Lovely to, yeah, to write these little tales and then to start getting these roughs back from all these amazing you know, people like Sean Tan and Heather Kilgore. And like, it's just been these fantastic illustrations that have, have been coming back. Um, it's just been a real joy. <laughs> yeah, that must have been amazing. Yeah, so, yeah, because it were just ten word stories or ten word tiny tales, like you said, and then to see from just those ten words 
what would come back and then to, but you're working with such a range of illustrators what a treat yeah yeah no it, it's been a really lovely project and um, we've got sort of 10 word tiny tales website where uh, there's a little word generator so kids can press a button and they'll get three words from the book and then they can i'll challenge to use those three words to create their own 10 word tales and they can upload their 10 word tales as sort of text and so we're getting all these amazing 10 word tales that kids are, are making um and seeing how the schools have, have gone on because the conceit or the idea is that yeah these 10 word tales need to be made longer and so it's that they're essentially writing prompts and the kids are inspired by the tale and by the illustration to create their own much longer story and so t- teachers have been sharing with me amazing stories that their students have done inspired by these illustrations and and all the all the stories are a little bit creepy i made that very clear in the, <laughs> but these are not you know cute tales they're quite creepy and they deal with slightly darker themes because i found in you know my 20 plus years of working in, with this age group that that really gets them excited about writing because it feels a little bit naughty you know we often mollycoddle them but you can create a really lovely safe space where you can start to explore the more creepy side of things and i think kids appreciate that and if it gets them writing, then that's, yeah, all good in my book. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, that's been such a joy to see what you, how you've been working and inspiring writing and kind of, yeah, getting getting kids so fired up. I mean, that, I think Tim of Tiny Tales is just genius because actually talking about editing, like in itself, like if you've only got 10 words to begin with, it doesn't become this overwhelming chore then. And you really need to have to, hone and think about how each of these words are working as strongly as possible and those choices become you know obviously elevated so yeah it's lovely to hear that how they've been expanded but I think that exercise in itself is like is incredibly valuable for for any of us but yeah especially when you're taking on the overwhelming task of trying to to edit your work as a nine-year-old yeah yeah because I, I think it makes words just feel more accessible but it is still challenging. And like I, I just, I love the activity. I loved writing those books because we've got another one coming out. Um, and just the challenge of, of making 10 words suggest a story. So it's, yes. it can't just be a statement. It, it has to suggest more than itself. It has to suggest setting or character or emotion. And so you start to really condense what makes a story. And it's really funny because it, yeah, obviously I've, I've written loads of 10-word tales and then the best ones are the... Well, actually, yeah, the best ones are what I send forward out of all the ones that I write. But I, I, I give to the editors about 40 and they give all of those to the illustrators and the illustrators then choose ones that speak to them. So that's been really interesting because then I get told if there, if there are certain tales that many illustrators want to do. And that has been just so... You're like, oh, wow, lots of people just connect with that particular tale and want to illustrate it but obviously only, only one can do it um so that's been quite fascinating and how how do they choose there <laughs> oh what how, which illustrator gets it if there's like multiple will they do will they all go to roughs i guess they um, flip a coin <laughs> <laughs> i think they do a kind of uh, first come first served sort of okay. basis in terms of you know if several have come but yeah and you know if someone says oh i want to do that one they get it and then then we, you know, they'll get several other emails saying, we want to do it too. So it's tough, it's already gone. 
yeah back to, back to the drawing board for you but yeah conversely it must be interesting the ones where only one illustrator suddenly connected with it and like really had a clear vision and why that was yeah because pretty much with all the tales whatever i had in my head has not been what's come out on the page it, they've all the illustrators have taken have, have really gone to town with just come up with something totally new and original and a new way of taking those 10 words um which i just i just think is brilliant it's like there's uh one by um benji davies um the 10 word tale is uh oh, what was it my splinter doors hang on hang on one minute uh, this is one i use um with kids quite a lot sorry not being alex t smith's one um my splintered oars are lost as my boat speeds onwards oh my goodness and what uh, we're looking at a kind of shark shaped spaceship yeah it's in a row in a in a rowboat like a uh, punk rock yeah. <laughs> vibe. i read this to the kids first of all so i say oh the tale is my splintered oars are lost as my boat speeds onwards what do you think will be in the picture? And they say a lake, a, the ocean, a river, or there's going to be a boat, there's going to be pirates. And, and it's so, it's such a to be able to say, well, there's none of that. Look what Alex has done. You know, and it's a, a space adventure. And then they just go to town, like together we make up a new story based on, on Alex's image. And that is, yeah. Yeah, they tell me the name. There's a, a, a baddie sort of sitting in the shark-shaped spaceship and they tell me his name and the kid's name and the dog's name. And they, they tell me why the why the baddie is chasing the kids and the kids have two suitcases. And they tell me what's in the suitcases and why the baddie wants what's in the suitcases. And it's been everything from gold bars to an energy supply to a crystal that can destroy the universe. It's, yeah, it's been such a joy. Oh, that's so fantastic. Such like, yeah, such a, such like a burst of creativity just from that kind of, yeah. I mean, that's what's so lovely. I think when you're working with an illustrator, when you can sort of like, even from the distance of just through those words, they can, it's, I don't know that I'm, I'm rubbing my heart, my knuckles together. <laughs> I can't think of the word, but you know what I mean? That rubbing together that creates a kind of fire. It feels like. For sure, yeah. It 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 feels very. Um, it just feels very collaborative, yeah. And it's been great because over on the website, I've done a few interviews with some of the illustrators, uh, which you can watch on the Ten Word Tiny Tales website. Uh, just asking them about their process in creating those images um, and how they responded when they got the Ten Word Tale and what they envisioned, and that, and that's been really interesting um, to hear things. Like I uh, interviewed. Um, Helen Stevenson, who's got this this picture here. Sorry, Helen Stevenson, invite me in. He says outside my temp story window. I've seen this one. It's beautiful. Yeah. And, you know, I never would have imagined that Helen would have done a wolf outside a window, you know, floating. And she's got this, as she says in the video, there's a whole uh, story about a dream she had when she was a kid of a wolf floating outside her front room window and then her running upstairs and it was then floated up to the bedroom window. Incredibly creepy, you know, but it's led this really atmospheric image, which I just think is, is brilliant. So just hearing those, the stories behind the images. um, Yes. It's wonderful. Oh, well, thank you so much, Joe. It's been such a joy to catch up with you. 
and yes keep having your lovely little breaks and <laughs> <laughs> we must all break on the regular and you know have lots of chocolate yeah exactly that's it eat lots of chocolate 85 <laughs> percent cacao very good for you apparently <laughs> it's my excuse yeah Yeah, whatever you can get down you um but thank you so much joe it's been such a joy to catch up with you and and lovely to hear um yeah about the inner workings of your mind (laughs) thanks so much it's been lovely and that's it for season one of the making books podcast i hope that you've enjoyed it i've had such a great time talking to um other people um rather than just sitting by myself um so i hope that you've got something out of these conversations and i really look forward to being back interviewing more in the future but thank you to everybody who has so graciously let me interview them in such a ramshackle way um and thank you also to you for listening okay hope to see you soon or to hear from you me here soon okay some sort of combination of that bye